The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. The church has just had its temperature taken and it's not very healthy, according to a recent survey. Every two years, Ligonier Ministries in the United States takes a survey to measure the nation's theological temperature and to help Christians understand today's culture, hopefully for better discipleship. Unfortunately, the topic of evangelicals and their relationship to Israel wasn't touched on in the State of Theology survey, but I'll nevertheless offer some insights as we consider the menace of growing anti-Semitism, despite Bible prophecy being fulfilled in Israel right before our eyes. Psalm 102 is literally coming to pass. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. The State of Theology survey by Ligonier Ministries reveals deep confusion about the Bible's teaching, not only among Americans as a whole, but alarmingly among evangelicals. There's something rotten in the church when a majority of evangelicals indicate that their beliefs are purely a matter of personal opinion. We're living in a time when everybody seems to have their own version of truth. But our authority as evangelicals is based upon this book, not upon personal opinions. The survey's results show the urgent need for sound biblical teaching. Society today simply doesn't understand the holiness of God, the reality of sin, and the branch of theology that deals with the nature and person of Jesus. And one thing that concerns me about the survey is that the church's relationship to Israel is overlooked. Israelology is such an important topic, especially since the nation of Israel is being regathered at this time. And according to Bible prophecy right before our eyes, Yet the survey did not address evangelicals' views concerning Israel and the dangerous rise of anti-Semitism. I'll address these topics, but first, let's look at some results of the State of Theology survey. Evangelicals who were surveyed expressed some views contrary to the teachings of the Bible. For example, although evangelicals believe that Jesus died on the cross, for our salvation, many don't fully understand the gravity of sin and the holiness of God. To the statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature, more than half of evangelicals agreed to that. But the notion that people are basically good at heart flatly contradicts the Bible. And if I asked you to quote a verse that contradicts this common belief that people are basically good, could you quote an appropriate Bible verse? Well, how about Jeremiah 17, 9, which informs us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Also, another key passage is found in Romans chapter 3, verses 
10 to 12, as it is written. And here Paul's quoting Psalm 14 and Ecclesiastes 7:20. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. For all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one, this passage says. So you see, the problem of spiritual heart disease is why the gospel was necessary in the first place. Because none of us is inherently good, and we need God's solution to sin. We're all, every single one of us, in need of the Savior, and there are no exceptions on earth. Even if a man or a woman dressed up in holy robes who blesses many adoring followers comes along, they still need a Savior. It's been rightly said that church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Well, in the survey, evangelicals were confused about the exclusive claims of Jesus. And their confusion is on the increase since the last survey. For example, to the statement, God accepts the worship of all religions, 37% strongly agree that God accepts the worship of all religions. Yet that statement clearly contradicts the teachings of the Bible. The Bible is clear that the gospel is the only way of salvation. God does not accept the worship of pagan or false religions. In fact, God has established a clear protocol for salvation. We are to approach God the Father through the merits of Jesus, His Son. And 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Messiah, Jesus. And in John 8.24, Jesus stated firmly without equivocation, You will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am who I am. Well, on an encouraging note, evangelicals overwhelmingly agreed that justification is by faith alone. Yet strangely, while most evangelicals who were surveyed said that they strongly believe in justification by faith alone, they were confused about the person of the Savior himself. Most agreed to a statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. That's a heresy that rocked the Christian world in the fourth century. In fact, the first ecumenical council of the church centered around this controversy concerning the nature of the Son of God and his precise relationship to God the Father. You see, the Bible presents Jesus as co-eternal, not as a created being, while Mormonism and the cults present Jesus as a created being. If I could write a statement on Christology, I would add that Jesus is not only our prophet, priest, and king, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root and offspring of David, as stated in Revelation 5.5 5 and Revelation 22.16. I would state that when Jesus comes again, all Israel will be saved. You see, the church today simply can't sweep regathered Israel under the carpet as if it doesn't exist again. Israel does exist, and it's a miraculous fulfillment of Bible prophecy. But 
Part of the new anti-Semitism is to deny the legitimacy of the Jews who were returning home. And some malcontents are even saying that the Israelis are not really Jews. So you may ask, show me where the Bible says Israel will become a nation again. Well, there are many Bible prophecies in that category. In fact, too many to cover in the time allotted to this program. But one of the most convincing is Jeremiah 31.10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. In that chapter of Jeremiah, God addresses the nations and not just Israel. God is prophesying, saying, I'm going to restore my Jewish people to the land that I gave them. And if you nations and islands that are far off, and that would include Great Britain. You see, the British Isles are mentioned here in the Bible. If you islands and nations seek to hinder or oppose what I'm doing, God says you will make God your enemy because you'll be foolishly fighting the hand of God. Well, this prophecy in Jeremiah 31 has come to pass. It's now a fact of history. He who scattered Israel is gathering Israel. And this prophecy perfectly describes the contemporary situation. Bible teacher Derek Prince of Blessed Memory used to say that the language in the Hebrew is particularly appropriate. The verb will gather him or will collect him in that verse is from the same root as the modern Israeli word kibbutz. This Hebrew word to gather or to collect Israel is kibbutz. And an Israeli kibbutz is a collective community. The kibbutz style of communal living was necessary when the Jews first began to return to this land because it was an exceedingly harsh environment. So the Jews had to live together in kibbutzim for mutual support, security, and basic survival. Israel couldn't have been founded without the dynamic of the kibbutzim. So Derek Prince used to say that we could amplify Jeremiah 31.10 like this. He who scattered Israel will gather him in kibbutzim. Hallelujah. Bible prophecy is amazingly accurate. Well, the theological survey showed that an alarming 69% disagreed that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. It's because of our understanding of God's holiness that we grasp the awfulness and danger of sin. If God isn't holy, then sin is not a big deal. The majority of those surveyed tended to downplay the importance of the churches gathering together to worship God. The majority, 58% agreed to the idea that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid activity rather than attending a church. And the producers of the survey wondered why so many believers have this casual outlook. And there could be a number of reasons. Recently, we produced a program in which we addressed the fact that Many evangelicals have a hard time finding a congregation that's not anti-Semitic and that's not into replacement theology. Perhaps this trend of genuine Bible believers feeling alienated by the trendy churches that care nothing about Bible prophecy was reflected 
in the survey. The report speculated that perhaps the reason is due to relativism, the popular idea that religious beliefs are purely personal opinions. And I would speculate, based upon personal experience and talking with other evangelicals, that not being able to find a church that properly understands the times and what God is doing to fulfill Bible prophecy and bringing Israel about again has an effect on church attendance. The bottom line is that believers must contend for the truth of the Bible when engaging with our culture. After all, our Lord believed in absolute truth. And in John 8, 32, he said that truth would set people free. In only a few short decades, America's sexual ethic has changed dramatically and it continues to move dangerously away from a Christian worldview to a secular and relativistic one. This year, for the first time in the survey, more Americans agreed than disagreed that the Bible's teaching on same-sex relationships is outdated. The 2018 results indicated strong confusion amongst millennials, those who are in the age range of 18 to 34. It'll be important to monitor these trends in future surveys because the views of the millennials will eventually shape the future, should the Lord tarry. Despite the confusion, there's been a significant change for the better amongst millennials across a range of questions when compared to previous surveys. For example, millennials are the group most likely to say that abortion is a sin. The percentage of millennials holding evangelical beliefs rose significantly to 18%. That's four points up from the previous survey of 2016. There was also a large increase in the percentage of millennials affirming that salvation is found in Jesus alone and that Jesus will return to judge the world. But at the same time, young adults appear to be drifting away from a biblical worldview in other topics. Millennials are most likely to agree that the Bible is not literally true. But that assertion contradicts 2 Timothy 3.16, which states that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. The millennial age group also holds the most liberal views on homosexual behavior and gender identity. And this reflects the influence on people's thinking of our increasingly secular culture. To the statement, gender identity is a matter of choice. 46% of participants in the millennial age group agreed to that statement, that a person can choose their own gender identity. That belief is a radical departure from a biblical worldview. Well, the survey could send Bible believers into despair. Yet, I always want to emphasize that we're living in the most exciting and prophetic of times. You see, in my daily devotions, recently I was reviewing Psalm 102, a psalm that moves from despair to hope and then even to end-time proclamations. Psalm 102 is called a prayer of an afflicted person who has grown weak 
and pours out a lament before the Lord. I love the Psalms because they're so real. Psalm 102 starts out by saying, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come up to you. Don't hide your face from me in the day of trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call and answer me speedily. In essence, this psalm is saying that if the Lord doesn't show up, I'm going to be in big trouble. The psalmist begins moaning that all day long my enemies are taunting me and I eat ashes as my food and I mingle my tears and my drink because of God's great wrath. You've cast me away. And let's stop and think for a minute. When we consider the Jewish people and the awful anti-Semitism that keeps rearing its ugly head time after time in history, even to this very day, we have to reflect upon the fact that even though the Jewish people represent God, they fell into disfavor with God. God had exalted them above all nations. They were the repository of the scriptures and truth. If you wanted to know about God, you had to go to the Jewish people and to their temple at Jerusalem. But the psalmist cried in Psalm 102, you have cast me away. And history has proven that the Jewish people were scattered from their land to the four winds and they were hated. Anti-Semitism is still a huge problem. And today, even a mosque occupies territory where it's believed the temples of the Jews once stood. God had given them the highest place of prominence. The Jews saw the very glory of God. They were his scribes and the guardians of his law. Yet, because of their unfaithfulness, God cast them away, but only temporarily. Not forever, mind you. Jesus himself said Jerusalem would not be trampled down by Gentile rulers forever, but only until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That's why I often say that this world isn't going to continue forever as science fiction teaches. Science fiction is fascinating because it stretches the imagination. But the thing I have against science fiction is that it doesn't account for the sudden interruption of history. It never takes into consideration the second coming of Jesus. But I want you to know God has a calendar. God has a definite time of restoration for Israel. And that time is now. In God's calendar, there's a set time to restore Zion. The restoration of which we're eyewitnesses is a unique period of God's favor upon Zion. And it was prophesied here in Psalm 102. We're living in it now. The irony is that most of the world doesn't recognize this unique and extraordinary time. The tone of despair and rejection with which Psalm 102 opens takes a prophetic turn in verse 12. The psalmist stops moaning and suddenly extols the greatness of God. And when we stop moaning and when we start to worship and extol God, we receive revelation just like the psalmist did. And so suddenly in verse 13, the psalmist prophesies, you will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. In Hebrew, the word for set time is moed, which means one of God's appointed times that cannot be altered. 
Now is God's set time to favor Zion. Israel's anti-Semitic enemies hate and resist this set time. And that's just too bad because we're living in God's unique time of grace and favor to restore Zion. The Psalm says God will have mercy upon the Jews in Israel. Isn't that wonderful? I believe it is, but the tragic thing is that many churches resent Israel and they don't want God to favor Zion and to show mercy to Israel. That's absolutely sinful. It's even self-loathing, really, because if you hate Jews, you hate Jesus too. That statement was an amazing headline in the Washington Post. The article by Russell Moore was reprinted from his website as a sober reflection on the massacre of 11 worshipers at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It was reportedly the deadliest attack on Jewish people in American history. The author of the article, Russell Moore, is associated with the Southern Baptist Convention. And he wrote, if you hate Jews, you hate Jesus too. Moore wrote that anti-Semitism is by definition a repudiation of Christianity as well as a repudiation of Judaism. That should be obvious because Christianity is related to Judaism. It was born out of Judaism. Yet church history has tragically been full of anti-Semitism. But a real born-again believer who loves Jesus and who's filled with the Holy Spirit should always reject anti-Semitism. If you love Jesus, you're going to love his physical family. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus self-identifies as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And don't forget that in his post-resurrection appearance to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, the resurrected Messiah introduced himself as Jesus of Nazareth, and he spoke in the Hebrew tongue. Jesus never shed his Jewishness. In fact, he was descended from the tribe of Judah of the royal house of David. And Russell Moore wrote that a Bible with this Jewishness wrung out of it is no Bible. And a Christ with his Jewishness obscured is no Christ at all. We can't even say his name, Jesus, Yeshua, meaning God saves without immediately being confronted with the Lord's Jewishness. You see, Christians are adopted into a Jewish family, into an Israelite narrative. And Romans chapter 11 says, we who were once not a people have been grafted into the tree that is God's Israel. We've been adopted into an Israelite family. God promised Father Abraham that he would become the father of many nations. The Jewish people are, in a very real sense, our people too. We can say with Ruth, the Moabite ancestor of Jesus, your people are my people and your God is my God. So any attack on the Jewish people is an attack on all Bible believers. As Russell Moore wrote, when you lash out at a synagogue's rabbi, you're attacking our rabbi as well. Through the years, I've sadly seen many so-called Christians who are peevish and stingy, finding fault with God because he happens to be restoring the Jewish people. They complain that the Jews don't deserve it. 
But if you feel that way, may I ask, what about you? Do you ever seek mercy and favor? But so-called replacement theology wickedly claims that because the Jews temporarily fell out of favor with God, all of their promises have defaulted to the church. Yet, our psalm today, Psalm 102, says God will arise and have mercy and favor upon Zion. For the set time to favor Zion has come. The churches must fully understand the meaning of favor and mercy. It amounts to receiving what we don't deserve. And now listen to this. Psalm 102 moves on to an exciting climax in verse 16. The King James Version says, When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. Friends, I want you to know great building programs are going on in the Holy Land all the time because the Lord is building up Zion. And it's one of the most exciting contemporary signs that the Lord is getting ready to return to planet Earth. Verse 18 goes on to say, This shall be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Hebrew scholars say, and I looked this up, that verse 18 literally says, This shall be written for a generation to come. And to come in Hebrew is aharon meaning literally the hindermost or the last generation in time. Wow, that's very specific. And it says the people of that generation will offer the praise that God deserves. So I believe Psalm 102 is speaking of our generation. And God is creating both Jews and Gentiles who will give him the praise he deserves. For he has kept and preserved Israel as a nation. And he's allowed us to see this amazing prophetic sign prior to the Lord's appearing in his glory. Hallelujah. So my question to you today is, are you ready for his sudden appearing? Do you know the simplicity of the gospel? Have you received the Savior? I urge you to accept the claims of the Lord Jesus upon your heart as both Savior and Lord. Believe on him, trust in him, call upon his name, and the Bible promises you shall be saved. Amen. And in the meantime, I want to invite you to contact me on the social media with any comments or questions, or you can contact me at our website at exploits.tv, where you can sign up to receive our free color magazine exploits. And a reminder that our Jerusalem Channel app is available free to download from your app store. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha.